Welcome to the latest edition of At The Flicks, your one-stop shop for movie news, interviews and reviews. Darren's video store is once again open for business. I will now hand over to our manager, Darren. Welcome everyone to Dazza's Video Emporium and welcome back gentlemen and thank you so much for paying your non-rewinding fines in such a timely fashion. I'll have to let Big Jim know he doesn't have to go around to your houses now. Oh, Graham will be disappointed he's not going to get a visit from Big Jim. (laughs) Thank you. You'll have to excuse me if things look a little chaotic. Um, I allowed a couple of teenagers to do some work experience here. And while I was out, they went and removed all the problematic movies from the shelves. So when I came back, the only films on the shelves were Baby Boom, 12 Years a Slave and Breakfast at Tiffany's. And I'm pretty sure they've never actually watched that one. Anyway, guys, remember our company motto? We can get any film or TV show that's not copy protected. (laughs) Graham and I will be the virtual customers and yet again, the unpaid employees as Darren guides us through some of the movies he's seen over the last few months. He suffers for his art. The hits and misses are all here. Anyway, pay attention, guys, as I look back at some of what I've been watching over the last three months. And remember, the one who manages to upsell the most copies of these gets to rummage through the old used poster box. And you can also take home one of the electric blue videotapes. Uh, That's a little (laughs) gag there for any perverts from the 80s. Yes. Wow. Okay, Darren, over to you. Which section of the shop are you taking us to first? Well, I think I'll take you over to the miscellaneous section where we have all the sort of films which aren't um, uh, horror films or Smokey and the Bandit ripoffs. Welcome to the miscellaneous quadrant. Uh, because what I've got here is a aerial disaster movie. Uh, this one is called 7500, and it's a 2014 movie directed by uh, Patrick Vorath. And this one stars Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who is an airline pilot, he's on a routine flight, and his cockpit is attacked by a group of terrorists. Now, two of the terrorists manage to get into the cockpit, he manages to subdue them and fight him off, but there's still more attackers outside. And while he diverts to the nearest airport, he can see the terrorists trying to get into the cockpit through the only camera right outside his door. And so he's got to basically find a way to land his plane and keep his passengers uh, alive at the same time. This one has been one of those movies that I've kept seeing whenever I've been on um, Amazon Prime looking for something to watch. And it keeps coming up and coming up. So eventually I needed a little 90 minute movie one night, you know, because it was time to go to bed. But I just needed a little 90 minute movie. So this one fitted the bill. And I am so glad that I finally got around to watching it because this was a really tense little thriller, all set in one room. Really, really well done um, and very brutal as well. But the the thing about this was Joseph Gordon-Levitt, he basically sold this perfectly and if you ever saw a a film called lock with tom hardy it kind yes. of reminded yes. me of that where the basically the entire film is basically you're just with him the whole time as he's trying to negotiate with these um, terrorists and basically try to get you know because obviously they're trying to get in and they resort to some really nasty methods with the um 
uh, with the passengers and the uh, and the stewardesses and well to try and get him to open the uh, door and he's basically got that sort of a question of does he surrender his plane to save those passengers or does he have the um you know the the, the greater good as it were to basically keep his plane because in in a post 911 world you know exactly what the terrorists are probably going to do if they get hold of his plane but this is a really really tense thriller i i i thought it was absolutely outstanding it's not a graphically violent film but it is loads and loads of suspense and the fact that he can only see what's going on through like this like this like little television monitor just at what's outside it sets your imagination going off of what else is going on in the plane it's a it's a really really good film so you've sold me on it but boss see how see what i did there (laughs) If we get a customer that comes in and says, do you know what, I'm flying out to Greece in a couple of days, is there a film you can recommend beforehand? Would you recommend this to somebody about to take a flight? Possibly not. <laughs> I, I've, got, I've got to say, uh, funny enough, I actually, did, I actually did go on. I, I did actually go on a plane once, and um, when I flicked up the in-flight entertainment, the first film that came up was the Denzel Washington movie, Flight. Which, if you've ever seen, that oh, is not God. one you would expect to see. And, and it actually has the greatest um, tagline underneath it. It just said, may not be suitable for nervous flyers. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Many years ago, I was flying somewhere and they had Speed as one of the films on the plane. And of course, at the end of Speed, uh, spoiler alert, but if you haven't seen the 30-year-old film, it's not my fault. When they get off the bus, the bus crashes into a plane on the ground and explodes. And all of that was cut from the film. Right. Okay. So we know who we can and can't recommend that one too. What's next for us, boss? Okay. So um, let's have a walk over to the musical section, or as I like to call it, videos to rent when you've upset the wife and trying to get back in the good books. The pink section. (laughs) Yeah. Welcome to the musical section. This one is absolutely perfect for that. This is Greatest Day, which is directed by Corky Gilderock. So this is um, actually um, based on a stage musical, which is actually written by the creators of uh, Calendar Girls. So you see what sort of market we're going for here. And this is a musical which is built around the music of Take That. What's the next section? Can we wander off to? (laughs) (laughs) really (laughs) (laughs) okay so okay pay attention guys come on okay so um, this uh, this story is basically starts with a nurse who uh, wins a uh, she wins a radio competition for four tickets to see the reunion tour of her favorite band the boys and this was a band that her and um, her friends were absolutely obsessed with when they were kids. So she gathers together um, three of her friends who she has not seen since they were kids. And the story then basically flashes back and forth between the present day and the current day. When uh, And it go, basically goes back to a time when they were trying to get tickets to see the band in the first place. And then sort of comes back to the, uh, the present where they're basically getting together and basically going to see the band again. And through this, through this way, you start to learn about them and you start to learn about the relationship that they have and what it was that actually caused them to drift apart. Because when they get together, you know that there's something, even though they're really, really close, as you see them as kids, 
something drove them apart. And quite ominously, it's uh, you'll notice that there were actually five of them when they were kids, that there's only four of them now. So obviously something happened to one of them. They developed taste. Oh, you're so funny. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay, so I'm actually going to basically cash in my mind card when it comes to this film and say I absolutely loved this movie. And this movie really affected me. Now, I have to say I do love musicals anyway. I I, I just do. And and I make no apologies for that. I really get into them. I love music, love musicals. And something about this film really got to me. And I have to say, and I admit this, I did end up crying at the end. And, oh. about, and honestly, this film is really, really emotional. And there's just something, it's just both sets of um, of actresses in these films, both when they're kids and when they're adults, are absolutely fantastic. And there's a real bond there. I couldn't describe it, but just for sort of, you know, because like I say, you know that something happens to one of them. And and when it does, and there's kind of, there's kind of like, um, like uh, even though the, 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 the idea of this is that they're basically getting together to see this band, there's like a cathartic um, experience that they have, that they basically manage to basically sort of move on for some things in, that happened in their earlier life that they've basically never been able to resolve. And so it, it's it's a. I thought it was absolutely fabulous. I realise that musicals aren't for everybody, and you've got to basically have that thing that you are into, like cheesy dance routines and everything. But if you are, I think you you would enjoy it. It is basically obviously because of the music, because it's about you know for five and then four ladies. It is geared very much at the sort of you know at, at women. Uh, but I personally, I personally really, really enjoyed it. Um, it's it's a good one to basically sort of you know, if if you've got some women in your life that you want to basically just sort of take and, and have a date night with or something, it's perfect for that. I personally loved it. It didn't stay around at cinemas very long. It seemed to be here and then was just gone. I wonder why. Uh, but yeah, I I personally really enjoyed this movie, and and uh, and I admit. Okay. At the end, I I did have tears running down my face. Okay, no, that, that, that's that's fine. That's that's good. I mean, that's why we like you as a boss because you know you're emotional and fair. Um, um, but take that have reduced me to tears many times. But I think that's for a, <laughs> for a different reason. No, no, no. I think we got to look at this properly, Graham. You know, the boss has given instructions. Every time now, I see a sort of chunky 30-something woman in a thick cardigan come in, I bring her over to this section, because this is what she's going to go for. Win tickets to see your favourite boy band reunite in Athens. Are you ready? I am ready. Today this could be... Are you screaming yet, Rachel O'Flynn? Big fan of you, Rachel. I'm their biggest fan of the whole entire world. You know who you're going to take with you to see the boys? It's 25 years. Double trouble. <laughs> Where is Rachel? Here I am. Okay. Right. Right, boss. Film number three. Okay. So um, I think I need to get a bit of a masculinity vibe back. Yes, so if we, <laughs> I'm, down, I'm down with this. 
<laughs> yeah, if, we, if we're going here to the, uh, to the crime section, and in particular the little uh, shelf I've got for um, foreign crime. Welcome to the foreign crime section. We've got a little film I discovered here called Dirty Cops. And this one is a, uh, a French movie uh, directed by Cedric Anger. And it's basically about two undercover cops who in are tasked with um, infiltrating the uh, 1980s um, CD porn underworld in France. And to do that, they actually set up a, a legitimate um, lap dancing club. And they um, basically sort of they recruit all the dancers and everything. And they end up, because of this, they end up um, clashing with some of the local gangsters. But they uh, they do succeed in uh, getting into a business relationship with a um, with a uh, with a porn producer who they are tasked with um, basically sort of basically trapping him into a scheme where they can basically shut down his operation and get him um, uh, arrested. The thing is about this mo is uh, what happens is that they actually find that working in this uh, environment actually sort of does suit them you know they, they sort of there's quite a few perks we basically running a lap dancing club and they also find that they actually start to find this world that they've come into really really uh appealing to the extent that they actually start um befriending the very people that they're supposedly um basically meant to be investigating uh now this film has been called a a french boogie nights and and i can see why because one of the things about this film even though it starts off where it portrays the um the, the porn world in the 80s as uh, basically something that was sort of like really dangerous and had to be taken down it really emphasizes the um the almost bit like the family vibe that, that it, you know d- developed here particularly between the uh, the dancers who basically sort of then become um, porn actresses and also the actual producers themselves the particular producer that they're investigating um he actually basically takes care of his girls and you know stuff like that and they basically sort of are basically like enjoying this almost like this decadent lifestyle uh, that they've um, got from themselves the film is also quite funny especially there's quite a few scenes where they're they're filming um as an advertisement for their club and also to be able to sell to, to punters and the scenes where they're actually uh, filming the porn is is actually quite quite funny. This this was a real surprising film because I'd not I'd not seen it anywhere before. I just again I stumbled across it on um, Amazon Prime, and it's a really really good story. And you sort of uh, again it's one where you have the um, the conflicting um, loyalties of the police of of whether or not they're um, going to do the job that they've been assigned to. Or are they going to uh, basically sort of like you know protect the you know the, the friendships that they've made and basically sort of give a a, a finger to the uh, the establishment and everything? But yeah, the, this this was a really good um, good film. I, I don't know. It probably could be argued that it um, has a romanticized view of the um, of the uh, of the porn underworld in France. But I I really enjoyed this movie. Okay. Wow. I- I think before we let customers near this, we better let Graham watch it first. He'll be able to tell us if it's authentic or not. Uh, Yeah. Do do I need to move it into the electric blue section? That's the problem. (laughs) French electric blue. French electric blue. That'll sell. That'll sell. We'll we'll get blokes in dirty Max will be coming in in their droves for that. Or Neil repeatedly. (laughs) 
So that, that that sounds okay, actually. That it does sound good. good, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it is it in English? It's it's not, Jeff. But you know, we've we've got we've got to get you reading. <laughs> and, and listen, but the way the way and listen the way things are going at the moment with um, Hollywood, we might be needing to get some films from mainland Europe in the, in the next year or so. Sad but true. Next one, boss. Okay, so. So we'll go over to um, Graham's favourite section, the uh, the horror section. Welcome to the horror section. But, All right, uh, I'm off. I'm it's, okay. Well, it's okay. I've, I've, bought, I've bought a copy of the Beano for you to look at while uh, me and Jeff have a look at this section. Okay, here you go. Will you help me with some of the complicated words, though, in the Beano? He's paying for my reading course, so I might be able to help you. <laughs> okay. So um, the film I've uh, want to bring to your attention here is The Empty Man. Uh, this was directed by David Pryor. Um, this was um, actually a film from uh, 2020. And this, um, just a little bit of uh, background. Um, this one was uh, one of the last films to be produced by the old 20th century Fox before it was uh, bought out for uh, by Disney. And it was actually released uh, during the COVID crisis. Um, but in this country, it absolutely skipped theatres altogether and was just sent to uh, Disney Plus. And it um, it basically was one that as soon as Disney took over, they didn't really seem to have a much idea what to do with this. And uh, they basically just kind of just like just, you know, threw it out there and just basically just sort of like, you know, forgot about it. It was one of the things that they were, you know, stuck with from the old 20th Century Fox. And I think the, one of the things that really went against this movie, apart from the fact of when it was being released, it was sort of like, you know, when we were actually still in a crisis situation, is that because of the title, and I have to admit, I was one of these people, a lot of people assumed that it was um, to do with the Slender Man uh, phenomenon that was going on at the time, which I don't know if you remember this a few years back, there was a... Uh, yeah, yeah the, the two the the two teenage girls wasn't it wasn't there a slender man film uh, as well there what there was a slender man film as well which which from all accounts wasn't you know particularly good no, and I, there was quite a few no. allegations about the uh the effects that that had film had on people so and and i've got to admit i thought this was something along the um the, the same lines but um anyway so this this film it basically starts with a quite a long prologue with um, four hikers who are sort of going through a mountain range, and uh, one of them stumbles uh, across a cave, which has a really strange skeleton in- embedded in the wall. This kind of affects the behaviour of some of the um, some of the hikers, and this uh, start to um, a few spooky goings on go- uh, carries on over the next couple of days. And let's just say that it ends up the conclusion to their little story ends really, really badly. Uh, we then switch to America and we find a um, a retired detective who is asked by one of his uh, neighbours to find uh, her daughter who has supposedly run away and she's left behind a message written in blood in her um, bedroom that just says that the empty man made her do it. So he basically starts to investigate this and it turns out that her classmates 
were, were playing around with a um, with a local legend called the Empty Man, and, and this is a, kind of like a, a bit of a uh, Candyman type thing, where they actually um, foolishly try to summon what they think is an urban myth that turns out to be very very real, and one by one, uh, bad things start to happen to all the classmates. And so the uh, the more that he actually investigates what this empty man myth is and you know, goes into the history of it, the weirder and weirder uh, the story becomes and can, becomes more and more dangerous. Um, so I've got to say, I, I knew very little about Empty Man. And like I say, I thought, I, I presumed it was sort of like a Slender Man type sort of movie. And I've got to say, I really, really liked this. It's It's got a really slow build to it. It's a really creepy. It concludes really, really well as well. It, it goes into directions that you wouldn't expect. And, and I, I was really, you know, a lot of sometimes you'll get to like an ending of a film like this and you'll, you'll think, I've got to look up what the actual ending was. And this this wasn't one. This this had a really good ending to it. Right. If nobody rents this tonight, um, I'll go for this one. Do I get do I still get the staff discount rates? <laughs> yes. Yeah, of course you do. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you. Right. That's well up on my um, to-watch list. Ah, brilliant. Thank you. What's next, yeah. boss? Right, okay, so let's um, go over here. Actually, no, we'll we'll stay with the horror section because this this one fits in a little nicely. (laughs) Come back here, Graham. Don't walk (laughs) off. Welcome to the horror section. Okay, so this is a film called um, Becky, uh, directed by Jonathan Millot and... Uh, Kari Murnion. Um, a lot of directors have some really difficult names. This, uh, this <laughs> guys for that. Uh, so, so this is another film uh, that was released during COVID. And believe it or not, this one was actually the number one film in America for a week because this was released at the time when theaters are closed, and the only films you could actually go and see in America were actually in driving movies which were um, sort of like reopened for the time. So this, this was one that was released at that time. This one basically starts with uh, Becky, uh, who is a uh, young girl. She's grieving because of uh, uh, the loss of her mother who has been killed. And she's struggling to, for a start, she's struggling to adapt to life with just her and her father. To make matters worse, she goes on holiday with him to the, uh, these remote woodlands. And unbeknownst to her, her father has invited her new partner and her young son along and even worse for her is that they announced that they're planning to get married now uh, you know becky takes her dog she goes off in her hoof and while she's gone uh, a bunch of neo-nazis led by uh, kevin james who is a really good villain in this film escape from prison and make their way to this uh, cabin where they're actually searching for something specifically there and while they're there, they basically take captive uh, the rest of the family, except for Becky and her dog, who are still out in the uh, woods. And it's up to her to try and fight back and uh, rescue her family. What was the point of all of this? For a key? It's worth much more than that. Becky! You're clearly a special girl! I don't want to have to hurt you. But I do want to hurt you real bad. Now. This film 
the way I can describe it is, is this is almost like an adult version of Home Alone. It's basically a young kid going up against hardened criminals. But it's this is not a comedy film with pots of paint hitting people in um, you know slapstick manner. This gets really, really gory and really violent, really fast. There's one scene that happens just as the sort of like the tension starts to build with her and these criminals. And that, that scene basically makes you go, oh my God. And from that point onwards, you know what sort of uh, film you are watching. It is really violent. It is really terrifying. The young girl is absolutely great in this film. She's she, She's got this sort of like quite sort of... It's like determined and quite sort of scary vibe to her. She's like the, the kid in Home Alone. She's setting these traps for these guys. She's she's very resourceful. This is a cracking movie. It basically takes the, to- the tone of the movie, really violent and gory, and really, really stick with that. I really enjoyed it. And it's it's a re- it's a tense one, but it's also really gripping and, and violent. If you fancy a bit of good violence, this is a good one to go for. I didn't watch this. This there's no sort of psychological horror in it. It's just violence. I presume just blood and gore and violence. Yeah, I'm, I'm fine with that. Yeah, yeah. It, it's on Netflix at the moment, so it's uh, you, you can you can find it quite easily there. And Billy, and if you like it, apparently there is a sequel coming out uh, with with, okay. with sort of like you know because it does end. It ends in a way that sort of like the, the story is not completely gone, uh, done, and there is a, a sequel with the same girl playing the uh, same the same actress playing the same girl. So uh, yeah, all right. I think it's called the Wrath of Becky, the second one. So you can see where this um, uh, where this saga's going. So, boss, the question we're going to get from customers on this, and we'll get it all the time, is: Does anything happen to the dog? What do you want me to say? <laughs> That's true, actually. Uh, I would I would say, without any spoilers, that animal lovers may not like some of the scenes in this film. Oh, I'm definitely in. Right. <laughs> Dear Lord. Right. Okay. What's up next? Okay, so let's all go over to the foreign interest section, shall we? Welcome to the foreign movie section. This is a film called Polite Society. A film that came out in cinemas uh, a couple of months ago. Uh, Director uh, Nina Manzo. Uh, Again, I hope that's how I pronounce it. And this film basically starts uh, about a young um, British Pakistani girl called Ria. Now, she has dreams of becoming uh, a stunt woman which is something that her traditional family really, really disapproves of, except for her older sister, who is really supportive of her in this and helps her to make um, videos of her showing off her um, sort of her stunt woman skills in the hopes that she can basically get a job. And her sister herself has her own dreams. She has the dreams of, of uh, making it as an artist, which, again, her family, you know, being very traditional, uh, she wants them both to get married and everything. Now, in the course of the film, uh, her older sister is uh, coerced by her parents into going to a party which has been thrown by a wealthy woman who is looking to find a suitable match for her young son, who is uh, very rich and has a, a great uh, job as a, uh, as a scientist. Now, much to Rhea's horror, her sister weirdly finds herself really taken with this young guy and she actually agrees to marry him and even worse, move to Singapore, which is basically giving up her dreams as an artist 
and he's also probably going to destroy Rhea's dreams of being a, uh, a stunt woman. So what follows next is her trying to uh, come up with a few farcical ways to get her sister to uh, dump this guy who's basically throwing a wrench into her, her everyday life. This is a really funny comedy. What's great about it, though, is it starts off and it just starts off as sort of like a um, like a family type comedy and the old trope of the sort of young girl who's having to fight for her dreams while her parents want something else for her. You, you've, you've, seen, you've seen this in other, other films before. But what's different about this film is it starts to go into Scott Pilgrim territory. It takes a direction where it becomes a little sort of martial arts type story. But also, like I say, it has some sort of segments, like when she gets into a scrape with a school bully. And also when she uh, basically has a showdown with her sister's um, fiancé's mother, where it becomes these fancy type little segments where it goes into slow motion and they're doing all these like really weird kung fu moves a bit like scott pilgrim so it takes off into really you know great direction i i I thought this was spectacular i started off i just thought this was going to be sort of like you know a a comedy none of it goes in the way you expect it to i I don't want to say too much uh, because i don't want to spoil it for people but it's one of the more sort of um Shall we say imaginative films that you'll see from oh, wow. uh, from British filmmakers this year? It's 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 a really good movie. I did want to see this in the cinema, and, and unfortunately, the timings didn't match for me. But the way you describe it, does it have that everything, everywhere, all at once vibe about it as well? Um, a, a little, a little bit. I would still air more on the Scott Pilgrim type. scenarios it drops really nicely into fantasy uh, and in a way that really that really does work it mixes sort of being a british straight movie we've also um we basically with bollywood you know and 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 i think if you look at it you know the scott pilgrim had quite a bit of sort of the bollywood type vibe to it where they would basically break into sort of dance numbers and stuff but this and this so this has something so it's kind of it's it's a nice mixture of several different sorts of movies i i i was i was really taken with it and i know a few people um strange enough in america who've managed to see this and they really liked it as well they said it was really imaginative Uh, it sounds like it celebrates the diverse british culture that some of us that are left are still proud of is (laughs) that true Yes, exactly. When when I watched this, I thought this is just the sort of thing that is up Jeff Street. This one. Yeah, no, no, I did want to see it. I did want to see yeah. it. Yeah, no, no, no. For yeah, once, it, it, I wasn't being sarcastic there. I actually didn't oh, mean yeah. that. <laughs> your, your sarcastic voice sounds very much like your regular voice. That's something. <laughs> I'm sorry, I missed that. I, I do want to see it, and I do think anything that you know, given where we are in a polarized society, that celebrates the diversity that we've got and our different cultures coming together i'm mm. all for it yeah uh, yeah uh, can we move this display to the front of the shop boss yeah definitely <laughs> why not <laughs> excellent it was this only on cinema or has it now come to a streaming service i i believe you can rent it on amazon prime at yeah. the moment so yeah, it's, uh, yeah, if not now, you will be able to see. I'm pretty sure I saw it on the, uh, available for rental. Okay, next, and uh, this I've seen this film. Welcome to the foreign movie section. This is a uh, a film called Sisu, 
Uh, I think I'm pronouncing that right. I, I could be wrong. And it's directed by someone called Joel Mari Halander. Uh, and this film is basically set during the Second World War. It's set in Finland and it's basically, uh, it follows a, a prospector who's out in the wilderness and he discovered a hefty amount of gold nuggets, which is going to make his fortune. And so he uh, he packs as many as he can and heads off to uh, civilization. Uh, but on the way, he encounters a platoon of uh, Nazis who are in retreat. But on their um, on their way out of Finland, they are looting and burning down and destroying any towns that they come across, and kidnapping any young women that they uh, take a, a liking to. So it's Boris Johnson then. And when they realise that he has got gold, they begin hunting him down, thinking that he's this frail old man who's going to be easy pickings. Unknown to them, he has a range of skills, which means that he's able to um, kill people in various torturous ways. And it's a pretty much a film of, but let's just say that the tables turn on the uh, Nazis. Now, this is another. This is a film I saw in the cinema. I'm pretty sure it's on Amazon Prime uh, by the time this, this airs. It's just a really, really satisfying, gory movie. The battle scenes in this, the fights between him and the Nazis are absolutely sort of brutal, but also really, really satisfying because you're seeing Nazis basically getting dispatched in a gruesome manner. Lots of gruesome of a big, massive mallet that he carries around with him. And these aren't just regular Nazis. These are Nazis. These are like, they're almost like pirates in many ways because they're, they're, they're basically yes. Nazis. So Germany's falling. They've, they've nothing really to fight for. So they're basically just trying to make whatever they can for themselves. And this, and they are basically just a really evil breed of sort of of Nazis. I had high hopes for this because it, it just looked, it just looked something really really different. And I absolutely enjoy the hell out of this. It was just so satisfying, so much fun, and like I say, just just some good like good graphic almost comic uh, comic at time the uh, gory yes. violence couldn't agree more i loved this film I, I it's like watching john wick's granddad <laughs> yes it's, that, it's really good he's an old guy but he's got such incredible skills the thing i liked about it was the girls they've captured the nazis they start reinforcing his legend they say he can't die and and they keep telling the nazis this and the nazis are starting to believe this so they think they're up against this invincible ghost-like character it's really well done fabulous film fabulous film. yeah and the women in it they're not just even though when you meet them at the start they're held captive and knee rescuing but they've got a real fight about them which basically, yeah. sort of, you know, every ch chance they get, they're working, you know, they're working to help him and disrupt the Nazis themselves. We're not just sort of like, you know, wilting flowers, but they really have a good yeah. sort of story as well. But yeah, I, I was really impressed by this. It was like a, a really satisfying, almost exploitation-y type movie, but sort of, you know, but, but from today. Uh, and there is one incredible scene that takes place underwater where oh, he's, yeah. The, yeah. he's in a lake and that just it was so different i have never seen anything done like that on film before it was very well done is it in english or does it does dialogue not matter in this one not a lot there's <laughs> not a lot of dialogue yeah i've I've got to say um you, you actually asked my question and 
I'm pretty sure it's it's in it's for a subtitle, but I can't really remember. <laughs> and like I say, it's because there is a lot of um, even when there's other people there, that there's there's not a lot of dialogue. There's a lot of sort of like you know tone and gesture and things. Um, but yeah, I think it is. I think it is subtitled. Okay, yeah, you still sold me on it though. Okay, boss, what have we got next? Okay, so if we go over here to the foreign language section um, once again, and this is a uh, an interesting one. Uh, this is The Three Musketeers, which is directed by Martin Bubelin. Foreign movie section continues. This is quite a controversial film, Chris. It's actually a... Um, uh, an adaptation of the uh, of the eighties uh, children's cartoon Dog Tanya Number Three Musker Hounds, but they've recast all the uh, characters as humans instead of uh, animals, which I, I basically find quite quite a bit jarring. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, I'm lost. I'm yeah, lost that, now. That, what? Yeah, that, that that's one for all you uh, kids of the eighties uh, reference there for you. Um, the, the, Okay, so, if you mean so, the eighteen eighties, Graham will be fine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, so uh, seriously, this is this is based obviously another Three Musketeers uh, movie, and there's been lots of these throughout the years. Um, it has to be said, most of them from the uh, from English uh, from over here and for, and in America, most of them are absolutely awful. Uh, there are some really good ones, of course. I mean, there's the um, the uh, the Michael uh, the one with uh, Michael York Richard Chamberlain and Oliver Reed, uh, yep, which was brilliant. a really good trilogy. I, I, I you know they sort of that's a really good set of movies there. Uh, and there's also uh, the Man in the Iron Mask, which uh, with Leonardo DiCaprio, which I have to say yeah, I really good. really enjoyed that. It's a good film. Um, Great but film. A yeah. lot of the others are absolutely, uh, frankly, awful. Um, the, the thing about it is that the French, believe it or not, uh, surprisingly, have not done that many adaptations of it. But this this one is a genuine French movie, and it's sort of it's. I thought this was great. It's and it has a very blockbuster feel to it. It's you know the French aren't really known for their blockbuster movies. They're more sort of like you know, an art movie is is their mm. thing. And this one has a sort of a little bit of sign about. It. It's basically it's very. Off, feels authentic to the period that it was um, set in, and the story is nothing groundbreaking because it is basically the original um, Musketeers um, storyline. We've got basically we start off with D'Artagnan, who goes off to basically join the uh, the King's Guard, the Musketeers. Um, he has the thing where he basically manages to um, get into arguments with all three Musketeers and um, and ends up challenging them to duels, all of them. There's the whole storyline where they have to go to um, England to retrieve a um, a couple of jewels that the Queen has given to her, a uh, lover, mm. which will cause a massive scandal if it was uh, revealed. Meanwhile, you've got uh, Cardinal Rissolo and... Um, uh, Milady, his henchmen, who are basically sort of trying to basically cause a war with uh, France and England. Uh, Milady is, is played by Eva Green, by the way, and she's absolutely fabulous in this film. She's such good casting, and and yeah, and this just feels uh, just like a really fresh take on the Musketeers, even though it's the most traditional one, done as a period drama, but has all the swashbuckling that you would want from a Musketeers movie, all the excitement, all the sort of like, you know, all the action and everything. And I, I thought this was absolutely astounding. It's only part one of the saga. This one's called D'Artagnan. 
and uh, I'm ends oh. on sort of a cliffhanger. There's another. The, the second part of the film is hopefully coming out at the end of this year or early next year, and that's going to be called the uh, the Musketeers and the Lady. I was really glad I caught this because, like most foreign movies, it was there for about a week in our cinemas, and there's like one show in a day, and then that was it. That was gone. But I really recommend this one for people to sort of look out for. Like I say, it is a really if you're tired of blockbusters being all sort of um, crash and, and, you know, cars flying all over the place, superheroes flying all over the place, if you're sick of that sort of stump type thing, have a go at this one because it does have a very exciting blockbuster feel, but with a bit of sort of class to it as well. I, I, I was I was really taken with this one. OK, I'm rather partial to the uh, Kiefer Sutherland, Chris O'Donnell version. Um I'll be interested to see how that compares to it. Hmm. I thought that one was awful, but anyway. Right. This is going straight to the top of my list. Yeah. We are clearly going up market with our films, aren't we? Because we're catering to a lot of foreign language students. <laughs> we certainly are. Right. Final one. We'll, we'll go over to the um, uh, the comedy section, and we've got to be a bit quick about getting to this one because it might disappear very, very uh, quickly. Welcome to the comedy section. This one is a film called uh, Rosalind, uh, which is directed by Karen Main. And uh, this starts, uh, and it's, this, this story is going to sound very familiar when I uh, describe it to you. It basically starts with a, uh, a young woman p- p- played by Caitlin uh, Deaver, who you will remember from uh, Booksmart. And it's... also in, um, oh, what was that Michael Keaton thing? The. Um... Oh, what was the drug? Bird. Dope sick. Dope sick. Oh, dope sick. Yes, she oh, was yeah. brilliant she was in that. that. Yeah, yeah. So the the film starts with her at a window, uh, and she is calling out for her lover Romeo, and she's having to see yeah. him in secret because she is Capulet and he is a Montague, and these are two warring factions, and so they have a a love that they're basically having to keep secret. Um, however, this girl is not called Juliet. Uh, this is actually a young girl called Rosalind, and she is the girl that Romeo was seeing before Romeo and Juliet started, and that she was the one that he uh, dumped so that he could go and pursue Juliet. The greatest love story ever told. Romeo! Sweet Juliet! Was missing a chapter. Mine. Son of a... No, get up, you lazy cow. I have cholera. You do not have cholera. You don't understand. They were being all gross, and he was saying things to her that he just said to me. Hmm. Three days ago. Yes. Three, nurse. That's clever. Yeah. So basically, this this film follows uh, Rosalind, and she basically uh, embarks on various schemes to try and break up Romeo and Juliet so that she can win her guy back. But in doing so, she inadvertently drives the course of the plot of Romeo and Juliet. And and if you actually know the story of Romeo and Juliet, you will get quite a a lot of the references, a lot of the things that she does behind the scenes accidentally basically causes some of the events in Romeo and Juliet. It is a really clever uh, movie and really funny. Now, I've got just a little bit of background. The reason why I said this film might disappear soon is that the only reason I became aware of this film is I, I was watching a YouTube video that was showing all the films that Disney Plus were taking off their channel. 
uh, if you if you know about this, so recently Disney Plus basically decided as a cost-cutting measure to take off a load of films and television shows off their networks, some of them which hadn't been there for very long. Rosalind was actually one of the movies. And so I only discovered this on the day before The Purge. So I was probably one of the last people to actually watch this film because I watched it that night. And I'm so glad I did because this film was so funny. It was really, really clever. It gives the story of Romeo and Juliet a right good kick in. And you have to say that out of all all Shakespeare's plays, Romeo and Juliet is really stupid. It It is one that basically everyone knows and everyone loves and everything. Some of the decisions that Romeo and Juliet actually make are really, really dumb. There's one thing in particular where Juliet is telling Rosalind a plan that she has. And Rosalind pretty much tells her how absolutely stupid that idea is. It's lots of things like that. The, the ending of it is absolutely hilarious as well. This, this is a really fun film. It's a really sort of biting um, piss take of Romeo and Julia. And the, the young lass in it, uh, Caitlin David, she is so good. She's got so much charm. Um, Mini Driver also has a role in this, has her sort of like nursemaid, and, she, and she's really funny as well. This is a cracking film, and I, I don't know why more people didn't know about it. I certainly didn't know about it. It wasn't promoted well, but it's got, you know, her in it, or what you would think after Booksmart, people would be, you know, would be really drawn to this film. It's it's one that sort of like, you know, young lasses would get a real kick out of and people who know Romeo and Juliet would get a kick out of. Sadly, it's gone now. So unless there's sort of some other way, I would say if you basically look at this and try to find this film by foul means, if you have to. All the things that they've taken off Disney Plus, this, this, this is one which I think is a real loss. So they can take off Secret Invasion and put this back on. Yeah, why not? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much, boss. They're great. Yeah. Blockbusters. Yeah. Okay. So if you follow me, we'll finish off with um, looking what else we've got in the TV box set uh, section. Welcome to the TV show section. First one up, um, this, is a, uh, this is a little mini series called Muscles and Mayhem. So... If you uh, think back to the 90s, or if we're in the 80s, uh, think forward to the 90s, um, there was a UK <laughs> show on a Saturday afternoon called Gladiators. Now, this was a show where contestants would compete against each other and against a stable of muscle-bound athletes known as the Gladiators. And in some like really spectacular and slightly odd games, it has to be said. And this show was an absolute massive hit from its very first episode. And for a few years, um, some of the gladiators became household names. There were people like Wolf, Jet, Shadow. And, uh, you know, this this was a massive phenomenon and even today they're actually bringing it uh, back i think the bbc are bringing it back later this year but it was absolutely became a staple of you know of uk what i think a lot of people didn't actually know at the time was that this show was actually um, a spin-off of a show that had been going on for years in america called american gladiators this particular documentary is the history of that american gladiators show the documentary starts where it shows how they came up with the concept for this show 
how we auditioned for the gladiators, how we had to come up with all the games, how we were selling it to all the networks. So you've got all that aspect to it, but how, you know, trying to start a TV show. And you saw all the problems that they had in making it. Our gladiators really benefited from this because by the time that ours came along, they'd managed to get a really slick production and way of doing things, whereas in the early days, it was trial and error type show. And and as the series goes on, it actually shows you the downfall of the show because it reveals all the drug taking that was going on, all the, all the infighting behind the scenes. Obviously, was, as you won't be surprised, there was a lot of steroid abuse going on, which led to a sort of a lot of violence behind the scenes. Uh, there was um, sex. There was basically sort of groupies. You've got all those sort of stories. And it's it's a really fascinating um, little documentary of this unique show that had never really been seen before. The closest thing to it was uh, professional wrestling. It's quite a sordid little show, but really entertaining at the same time. Um, I, I found wow. this fascinating. It's only about four episodes, but it is that sort of... Um, if you're into shows that basically sh- uh, show how something can become an, a, a massive success and then just plummet just as fast, it's it's a really interesting show. I would actually like them to do a, uh, a follow-up on the, what the British gladiators were like because I believe that that pretty much went the same sort of way. But it's it's a real it's a real. I was going to I was yeah. going to ask that they they are only mentioned right in the very last episode there's just a little sort of like, almost like an epilogue that shows how gladiators went abroad and how it was big in the uk apparently they say that the uk gladiators was actually bigger than the american gladiators ever was you know the uk one became you know became much more of a success of a phenomenon than the uh than the american one but, and there's all, there's all these little sort of things in there, like one of the gladiators um, was was gay, a, a lesbian, and she was basically warned that she couldn't basically see any women while she was on the show because it, the American public at the time wouldn't accept that. You know, it's, it's so it's so it's like a little sort of capsule of sort of like you know what the attitudes of the time were as as well. It's a really interesting show. Incredible! I love those behind the scenes stories. Yeah. Okay, one more then, boss. Yep, one last box set to go for, and this is, this is a box set that I actually, this is a series I actually watched quite a few years ago, but um, it's one of these that's kind of might have drifted away from the uh, the eyes of people, so I'm giving it a second go. This is a TV show called Glow, uh, which is a Netflix show, but um, started in 2017, ran for three seasons, was supposed to be having a fourth final season, but then COVID came along and basically scuppered it. And the glow is actually based on a wrestling promotion of the 80s, very loosely. And the glow actually stood for Glamorous Ladies of Wrestling. This was a this was an uh-huh. all women's show. It wasn't very well received by wrestling hardcore fans because it was let's just say the wrestling wasn't top notch and it was very much sort of done more for comedy and last it was had musical numbers and comedy skits in there and everything but it was basically the only wrestling show dedicated to women at the time so this is a dramatized version of of, of that and it basically stars Alison Brie and Betty Gilpin in this world there are good guys and there are bad guys and I will not be bullied into submission. 
You're reading the man's part. Oh, God. Would you like to start over? Yes, I would. I will not be bullied into submission. Sorry to interrupt. Your wife is online, too. Alison Brie is a struggling actress. Um, Betty Gilpin is a, a faded soap star. And they chance upon an audition for an all-women's wrestling show called Glow. And the two of them are at odds with each other because um, Brie has been having an affair with Gilpin's husband. And so there's some real animosity in them. And when they go in for this show, even though their wrestling is not up to much, um, the, P, the show's producer, played by Mark Maron, realises the tension between them and believes that he can basically turn this into an actual, their antagonism into a storyline on his show. So he recruits them. And for the next three seasons, the show is about them and also the various women who have actually sort of joined this show to become wrestlers and have all become up with these like gimmicks for themselves. They're basically outcasts in one way or another. Either that they're sort of like they're they're basically they're sort of like you know got a strange husbands or they've got sort of families or they just don't fit into society. But on this TV show, they found this little community and this little thing that is theirs that they're able to really take a hold of and really basically make a life for themselves. And this is a really good free season show. It's sort of it's it's funny in places, um. The, you know the if you, you know, the, the characters that they adopt and start to you know be, become uh, are really funny. Betty Gilpin basically has this gimmick where she's the all American girl. Where Alison Brie she has the um she comes up with a Russian gimmick. So she's like this like Russian communist that basically is constantly telling all the other wrestlers how um you know how in um, in Soviet Russia we do things this way. And you've got a, 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 a you know various other ca- characters. It's a really good show, even even though it's a wrestling show. Don't let that put you off because it makes fun of wrestling a little bit, but it's not about the wrestling. It's about the the relationships and the attachments that these women have with each other, and also they they become to love the show because of the um, the alternative lifestyle it gives them, and they sort of basically as the show goes on. And the producers start to want to cancel it. They basically take it upon themselves to get the show go on tour and things like that. There's a season where they basically take the show to Las Vegas. It's a really good, fun show, and and it's really funny. There's one episode in the in the last season where the entire show is watching a TV show of their version of Glow, and there's a song that they sing, which is basically a um, anti kidnapping song that they come up with which is one of the funniest things I've ever seen on Netflix <laughs> show. The, the lyrics on the song are hilarious. It's this song about don't kidnap, uh, let the children play, and the ones you've already caught, let them get away. It's just just real, uh, just this really funny song that they're doing. <laughs> the, 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 show, the show's great. It's just a shame that of all the shows that Netflix has, this one was like a real hit with people. People really enjoyed it. And... Um, because of COVID and because we had to delay the show and all the contracts have now expired with all the actresses, we're probably never going to get to see the the final sort of like, you know, season that would have rounded up all the all the character arts and everything, which is a real shame. But we've got these three shows and it is really worth checking out. I'm getting a, all the marbles sort of vibe from this. Is that a fair assessment? A little a, a, a little, but this is this is more sort of. Whereas for all the marbles was like a 
try to portray wrestling as, as an actual contest. This this one doesn't. It, it basically, you know, is very apt that it is basically a scripted show and everything. So it doesn't give that. It's basically them trying to do a wrestling show, but it is, kind of, you know, for, for the marbles was like it's almost like a Rocky but a, show, uh, a, a Rocky movie, but with um, uh, with, with uh, set around professional women's wrestling. Uh, th- this one is more basically sort yeah. of. It, it recognizes that they are trying to basically put a uh, you know a wrestling show on. Um, ju- just a, a little thing as well. There is also a show. I presume it's still on Netflix, which is actually a documentary about the real glow, and basically catches up with all the women's and everything that went on behind the scenes, which is also quite fascinating in itself. And it's also quite touching because it reunites a lot of the women who were wrestlers on the show. And uh, you know, a couple of them actually became wrestling wrestlers proper for the WWE, but most of them didn't. They weren't particularly, you know, they weren't actual like you know good wrestlers as such. But it's a, it's an interesting little documentary to go with this and show what the, you can see how, what some of the characters were based on. Give Glow a chance because even if you're not a wrestling fan, it's there's a lot to enjoy in this. In terms of order on TV, uh, Muscles and Mayhem sounds like a, a can't miss for me. Okay. That's what I've been watching over the past three months. And um, once you shift ends, all of you can take a movie home tonight. So uh, what tickles your fancy, guys? What are you going to take home with you? I'm going to go with Rosalind because that just intrigued me, completely intrigued me because I, I really do. Well, I'm a big fan of Shakespeare and I actually like uh, Romeo and Juliet and uh, yeah some of the plotting is just bonkers it is a tragedy but I'd like to see how they turn it into a comedy that would be really interesting I, that, I think that juxtaposition is the thing that really will attract me to it so yeah I'm going to go with that and I'll probably go with Muscles and Mayhem as well just because of that sounds intriguing oh right you leap yeah. it in first for it well if you're going to do that I'm going to put all my prejudices aside and watch Sisu Oh, it's brilliant. You'll love it. Yeah. It's about a man of your age, but he's got muscles. <laughs> that was very funny for you, Graham. <laughs> oh, right, okay. Yeah. Okay, guys, that's it. Thanks for your attention and, and listen to my little presentation. Uh, that's all your selections made. So it's time to close the movie store for this edition. By the way, I am going to need one of you to come and work an extra shift and cover tomorrow. Um, <coughs> Graham! I, yeah. Uh, um, I've got to go to court and uh, it's um, nothing serious. It's just about this whole um, severed arm in the uh, Dropbox uh, thing I've got to uh, go sort out again. Uh, right. Well, you know, Neil was lucky. It's not his right hand. He uses that far more. Um, <laughs> for playing golf, yes. Exactly. <laughs> okay, Darren's Movie Store will be open again for business. Until then, see you at the Flicks.